got paid was because on the designation line of open door envelopes, people wrote Greenpoint and put a little in, or Union and put a little in. And that little was a lot every month, and that's really how the bill got paid. And so we thank the Lord for your contribution. It was not in vain. I think you've seen some of the fruit. We've had some people come in regularly uh, here on Sundays and Thursday nights, and we thank the Lord for that. Uh, one of our regulars, Miss Shirley, you've met, a uh, young single lady, and she's uh, on vacation for two weeks, and so she gets back right before we open the building, uh, Lord willing. And then we've had um, another man uh, that will be coming a little more regularly. He's having some problems with his house. Uh, and then Miss Myra was here this morning, and we thank the Lord for that. And she's just had a big tragedy. A uh, family member passed away in her family, and I it's good to see her here this morning. You know, when people are going through a tough time, they sometimes run from the Lord, but she's running to the Lord, and, and she wants to be here with you, and you're an encouragement to her, and we thank you for that uh, very much. And we thank the Lord that he provided that van. I mean, that's one thing that's got to be said when we testify about this year, is the Lord gave Union Baptist a brand new van. And uh, that's been, I mean, just so great for the construction work, for our family, for taking people to and from. We've been coming to Astoria a lot this year, and we weren't planning on that, but the Lord knew and took care of that. So uh, we thank the Lord, and those of you that have borrowed it, a few of you, you're probably thanking the Lord too, and uh, so we thank the Lord for that. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 12 tonight, and uh, I also want to just say praise the Lord for what's going on in, in Pastor Franz's ministry. I mean, there, I just can't, I, I, I don't want to say I can't believe it. I, I can totally believe it. I told him this was going to happen. I said, I may have the building, but I promise you, your church is going to grow three times faster than mine ever did. And, uh, and I prophesied correctly, because that's exactly what happened, and uh, prophesied correctly. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so now if they had six visitors, Pastor, they must be overflowing. I don't know how many of you have been there, but uh, we went there for a service recently, and it was jam-packed. And he had said, and that was on a Sunday night, he said, oh, well, we had more this morning. I said, wow, you guys are crammed in here like sard. I mean, the size of the auditorium is about the size of this platform. I mean, am I, I'm not exaggerating that, I, I think. No, it's probably smaller than this. I mean, it's small. It's small. And uh, so that is, in, I mean, that, that is incredible. So praise the Lord for that, and let's keep praying for them and uh, for what's next. Maybe a bigger space, who knows, but that's exciting. All right, Luke chapter 12. I'm in Mark. What happened there? Okay. You're in Luke. Luke chapter 12, hopefully a f- very familiar portion of Scripture and um, um, just a, a great one to come back to. You say, well, are you pre- preaching a, this doesn't like a Christmas sermon. No, I'm not going to. Uh, most pastors around December 1st, they have a pretty much a game plan of where they're going to go to December 31st. They've got their Christmas passages picked out, their New Year's message. If I picked out a Christmas passage that pastor was planning on preaching next week, I would be mortified. So, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'll leave Christmas to him and pastor and uh, brother Andrew. And uh, I'm going to uh, kind of come back to the regular calendar uh, here for tonight. So I hope you don't mind that. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And Jesus, and he's talking of Jesus, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, how many of you have talked to yourself? This is a guy talking to himself. He's having the best conversation he ever had, right? He's talking to himself. Here's what he's saying to himself. What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, Thou hast much, now he's planning on talking to himself later on. This is just getting better and better, isn't it? 
Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. And take thy knees. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night and we thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to learn um, from this passage, which is just so timeless. Uh, It stretches back through all of human history and forward all the way to today. That, Lord, the fool is a fool from start to finish. And I pray tonight that we would avoid this sort of foolishness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's easy sometimes to criticize the rich, isn't it? Uh, The term for this is often armchair quarterbacking. And we're deep into football season right now. Have you ever heard that term, armchair quarterbacking? This is the man who has a bowl of nachos in front of him, and he's sitting in a large leather chair, and he has a large uh, drink, and he's all set for football, and he's sitting there in his sweatpants uh, and his tank top, and he's got quite a gut that has developed over many uh, times sitting in this chair and eating these nachos and drinking this large drink. And he, in that sort of posture and in that sort of physical condition, begins to tell the $100 million every four-year contract quarterback how he should do his job. Does anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? I know we had visitation. It had been a long day, but I need you to be with me. Okay, remember, in New England, you don't have to shout amen, but you do have to head nod. All right, the head nod. Yeah, that lets me know that you're with me, okay? All right, you can do that. But he begins to tell this man who makes multi-million dollars a year at his profession what to do or what he should have done. He gives instant replay to the quarterback, and he says, I can't believe you didn't throw to this, I can't believe. And, and he says, you fool, you know, you should have done this, you should have done that. Oh, if I was there, I would have done this. It also gets worse. That's usually someone who's uh, middle-aged or sometimes younger than that. But then you also have it in in the younger, in the 20s, and even in the teens, where someone uh, perhaps is into video game and video game culture, and they believe that that sort of experience in playing those video games make them adept uh, if they were doing the same thing in the real world. I mean, I'm a marksman in this video game, so surely I could shoot a gun in real life. Most of them never have. You should see how fast I blitz the Nurburgreen on Need for Speed 3 on my PlayStation 4. And so, and if you don't know what that is, good for you. And, uh, you know, but you should have seen how fast I was uh, in, you know, on this video game. So surely I could do that in real life. Uh, totally different things, right? And it's easy sometimes to point at the rich and the successful and to say, well, if I was in their position, I would do it differently. Let me promise you that you would not. Okay, let me promise you that you would not. In fact, it can even be, if I dare to say this, it's not my church here tonight, I'm not the pastor, but sometimes this can come from the pew. If I was the pastor, let me tell you how I would have done it. Okay, you want to be? Well, we could use a vacation. Great, you take over. Let's see how it goes. And, uh, you know, and, and young preachers go through this all the time. When I, I meet a younger pastor or someone I went to school with and they've just got into their first ministry and they've been going for a few months, a few years, and I'll, 
uh, they'll, they'll, they'll step into a church that maybe has 100 or, or 75 people, something like that. The first thing I say to them is, so how much have you whittled it down to yet? <laughs> you know, typically you would ask, you know, how much have you grown the church? But usually when you're starting out, it's how much have you whittled it down? Uh, and your expectations meet reality. And you find out that this position that was that you thought, man, I would be great at, you're maybe not so great at. Well, I want to keep that sort of thinking in mind as we look at the fool the rich fool that is mentioned in this passage tonight. Because I don't believe Jesus is trying to tell us that rich men are fools. Hello? A rich person gave Union Baptist $100,000. $100,000 check last year. Praise the Lord. Now, I don't really don't know anything about the person. I don't even know the person's name. But thank God for that. <laughs> I don't know the totality of their life, but I know when it came to that decision, they were not a fool. <laughs> they were very wise. I don't know what they've done with all the other checks in the checkbook, but that check was used for the right thing. Praise the Lord for that. But I don't think Jesus is trying to tell us tonight that rich people are fools. Definitely not. In fact, you can see in Jesus' interactions, although he, said, he definitely says that it is hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that it is certainly not impossible because with God, all things are possible. Thank God for that. So we're not to look at the rich person tonight and say, yeah, well... This passage, yeah, this guy here, he's so rich, he's got so much, he doesn't even know what to do with himself. But if I was rich, let me tell you what I would do. I, I've heard Pastor quote many times here, and he's right. He's absolutely right. It's a phenomenon about people that win the lottery, how many of them end up bankrupt and, and homeless and divorced and dead, you know, within just a few years of their winnings. And uh, it also happens in, uh, in professional sports. In fact, most football teams have an entire department within their staff dedicated to basically coaching these young athletes, men that are 21, 22, 23 years old, that many of them came from nothing. And now all of a sudden they've got millions, millions of dollars in the bank and they can only spend it. In very small time windows, they have to give so much of their time to the team and then they have this little bit of time off where they just want to enjoy their wealth. And they have entire staff dedicated to calling these guys day in, day out, multiple times a day, checking on them, even spying on them. I'm not joking here. Even spying on them, following around to make sure they don't do something foolish with their money that would destroy their career and destroy the investment of the team. So it can be easy to armchair quarterback a rich person and say, now it's especially easy when it comes to government and politicians, right? I mean, they make it easy for us, don't they? You see how they act and you immediately think, and there's entire industries built around doing this, basically, sitting on the outside looking in and saying, if I was in Congress, let me tell you what I would do. Well, I'm not signing up for that job. <laughs> I wouldn't want that anyway. And I'm glad that our church kind of puts our money where our mouth is and we pray for them you know we pray for congress we pray for the city council we pray for our elected leaders and that's a blessing but i can tell you this if you were standing in either the house of representatives or the senate or the white house you might find out that that job is not so easy and i'm trying to make you feel sorry for him tonight but one little job requirement that i find fascinating is junior congressmen they have to raise $5,000 a week, junior. Now, the upper, it's, even, it's far more than that, but this is the guys that have got in their first year in office. They have to raise $5,000 a week starting the week they get into Congress just to stay afloat financially in their campaign. Now, we've fundraised some money, but I couldn't imagine the pressure of doing my job plus I have to raise 5000 a week. 
I mean, that's just a, that is a lot. And I'm just trying to give that as an example that sometimes armchair quarterbacking someone who's not only rich, but someone who is in a position of power and of success can be foolish on our part. Because it can make us think that we, because we don't have that sort of wealth, that we therefore um, can see more clearly and we would, do their, we would do something better if we were in that position. Now, Pastor Mike, are you meddling here? No, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise you. I'm going somewhere. And it's going to help us see the message of this text, I believe, much more clearly. So we don't want to armchair quarterback the wealthy, the powerful, the rich, because in their position, who's to say what we would actually do? And quite frankly, we're not, we, have, <laughs> we have not earned that position. We have not earned that position. And we probably never could. I am not going to be scoring 30 points a game and getting onto an NBA team. Definitely not going to happen. If you see me play basketball, then you would, oh boy, you don't want to see that. Well then, Pastor Mike, how can we make any sort of judgment? Well, because God's looking. And this isn't just some guy sitting in a leather armchair with nachos on, on his giant gut telling us how the quarterback should have thrown that ball. This is Jesus. This is God himself who sees not only the actions of the rich and the powerful, but he sees the hard intentions and the motives. And he gives us a window into seeing how the heart really behaves in that person's life. And he allows us through this man to see, and I kind of mentioned it there as I was reading it, we get to see what he's saying. We get to see what he's doing. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the words of Jesus Christ himself, we can see what that man's thinking and even go into the most intimate parts of his life and see what he's saying to himself <laughs> and what he plans through his schemes to say to himself in the future. So we not only know where he's at today, but we, we know where he thinks he's going to be in the future. That's an incredible insight. Because every man and woman has this sort of scheming going on in their own heart. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. We're... We have a judgment call based on our own experience of where we are today and where we think we will be tomorrow. Now, if you're planning for today and for tomorrow, that's good. Hopefully you're balancing your checkbook. You're thinking about your job a little bit, you know, where you're going to be in a few years or, or, or you're thinking about how you're going to pay the rent next month, whatever. That sort of planning is good and healthy and responsible. But this man's planning goes far beyond that. This man's planning now goes into the sort of lifestyle that he intends to lead. And this lifestyle is absent of some very serious things. In fact, when you see what this man's lifestyle, what his goal is for his life, you would find that it's probably pretty similar to what a lot of people's goals are for their life. And you're going to see that what, this, that what their goals are which seem reasonable, rarely turn out to be that way. And God calls this foolishness. He calls it foolishness. So see, let's see what this man's lifestyle, what he proposes it will be. Let's, take a, let's just take aside for a second that he's all, put aside for already, for just a moment, that he's already rich. And just look at verse number 19. He says, And I will say to my soul, when I have fulfilled my schemes, my purposes, my plans for my career and my life, this is the end result that I am searching for. So, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. 
Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, don't worry. This isn't a sermon tonight telling you not to go on vacation. (laughs) If you got to go on a vacation this year, if you're saving money to go on one next year, great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about enjoying luxury. I'm not talking about enjoying the blessings that come with American culture and prosperity. Not saying that at all. But what I am saying tonight is what this man's goal is for his life is to get to a plateau of personal indulgence and self-satisfaction. That is, his, that is the goal of his life. Personal indulgence, self-satisfaction. In fact, he even <laughs> indicates it through the conversation. He doesn't plan on sitting down with his family and saying, Family, let's take it easy because we've got everything we need. So let's eat, drink, and be merry. He actually doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? He's already planning on being alone. It's kind of sad. (laughs) Uh, And probably true. He says he's looking forward to a day when it's just him. He's the kind of guy that fantasizes about sitting on some deserted island somewhere with nobody else and all of his money and all of his wealth and have nothing to do all day long. And he says, that is the life that I want for myself. I want it to be void of responsibilities. I want it to be void, and maybe I'm making a stretch here, but I don't think I'm far off, void of people. I mean, relationships are just absent, and it seemed to be absent in this person's life. Now, maybe I'm making a stretch there, but I don't think I'm too far off on that. He doesn't even, he's not even thinking about the people that he wants to enjoy this prosperity with. He wants it all for himself. And he wants to have riches, and he wants to have wealth. The amazing thing is that when you're looking at someone or something or some situation through God's perspective, you get to find out that things are not as they seem, are they? I mean, we know this in New York City. It's, it's pretty neat. Something I've enjoyed learning in my very short amount of time here. Uh, I tell people I borrow this from somebody else. When somebody asks, how long have you lived here? My response is always, well, I've been a tourist for about four years. And, uh, you know, and I think that's a good way to, to say it. And it kind of diffuses, uh, you know, people that want to despise my youth. And uh, so, I'll, you know, I'll use that sort of uh, statement to, to settle people down. And, but that's one thing I've enjoyed kind of discovering, is that things are not what they seem at all. I mean, when I walked up to Union Baptist for the first time, things were not what they seemed. <laughs> not at all. I had no clue what was going on behind that door. Uh, people, um, I, I notice here in Queens, especially in Eastern Queens, there seems to be a desire to kind of flaunt wealth. Um, and, and don't take it personally, but I'm just saying kind of culturally, I noticed that, you know, the, the way buildings are built, the way they're ord- uh, adorned and things like that. And over in Brooklyn, it seems to be a little bit of the opposite. People sort of want you to think that the building is a rundown dump. Have you seen this? You've driven through Greenpoint and Williamsburg and you think that's a dump. Somebody then you look on Zillow. Somebody paid five million dollars for that. What? In the, and you go inside and it's like five star palace in there. And for some reason, they're just they've kind of got in Brooklyn. They're, I don't know. They got their head screwed on the wrong way or something. And uh, they kind of like to, they, they want the wealth to be surprising. So you walk through a rickety old door that's not even like hanging off the hinges and you walk into marble floors and beautiful vault. And it's like, I don't get it. And uh, maybe somebody want to explain it to me, but things are just not what they seem. Well, the same is true when you have God's eternal perspective on a person or on a situation. It's amazing. Things are just not what they seem. 
And while somebody from the outside would look at this man and say, wow, that guy's done well for himself. Well, God's perspective says, yeah, that's the only person he's done well for. Himself. He's an egomaniac. He wants to make himself happy and he's looking for a life that's void of responsibility and void of work. Now, I I struggle with this a little bit. Well, a lot of it. Because the truth of it is, is the work is oftentimes what brings the joy, isn't it? When children are born, the mom has to do a lot of work. (laughs) But there's a lot of joy that comes. Uh, Sorry, honey, I'm comparing these two things. But in union, we've done a lot of work. (laughs) Not the same thing. But boy, a lot of joy. I'm getting excited. Oh, man, I'm excited. Yesterday, we had... We had the front gates open. We were moving some, some uh, equipment into the building. And, and so we had the front doors open, which is not usual. We don't normally have those open. And the lights were on inside. And which is one person after another is walking by. What's, what's going Oh, look, look. They're getting out their camera. And, of course, I'm in my paint clothes. I look horrible. Hi, I'm the pastor. And I uh, get to share with them. I mean, that is exciting. Can I tell you, when we were down the street at West Street, when I walked up to people in my suit and said, Hi, I'm the pastor... Where? Oh, and we rent a little room up there? Okay, who cares? People walk by. Actually, I had a pastor recently. We were, I, I was taken to the building. We, we were just standing out in front looking at it. Some person walks by. Hey, Father Mike. All right, keeps on going. Pastor's like, who's that? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it's just a totally different situation. You say, well, don't, don't get arrogant. You're right. I'm not, I don't want to do that. You, you help me, okay? But we are going to fully exploit that for the glory of God. We are going to totally use that so we can reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank the Lord for all he's done there. God's perspective. God's perspective changes things, doesn't it? And it shows us that the man that is in search of ease, although he's so wise at gain, and in a sense I could respect him for that, he is still a total fool. He's still a total fool. He is a complete expert in how to amass wealth. And not only that, but it appears he knows how to add wealth to his wealth. Some people, boom, they're a millionaire quick. And then, boom, they lose it all just as quick. (laughs) And if you talk to people that have a lot of wealth, you often find that kind of a a repeating theme there, a story there. They'll tell you about, well, this is actually my third million because I lost the first two. And, and, uh, And they've learned from the experiences and they've grown. But other people have many experiences and they never grow. That this man, whatever toil it took to get his wealth, well, you don't know if it was easy or hard or, or exactly how it happened. It says that it came from his land. So I imagine that there was some work involved there. He bought a fruitful land. I can respect that. We have a lot of people in Greenpoint like that. If you bought a three-family house or four-family house in Greenpoint in 1995 for about $200,000 to $300,000, it's worth anywhere from two to three million now. We have a lot of people there that have a fruitful land, <laughs> and, and their investment has paid off big time. So when it comes to knowing when to buy low and sell high, so I tip my hat to them with respect. But that doesn't necessarily make you an expert in everything else in life. See, this is where success begins to deceive a person. When they think because they've had success in one area of their life, that that therefore makes them an expert in all areas of life. I respect the people that come into church 
that make far more money than I do, that in, uh, drive much nicer car than I do, that have a way bigger house than I do, and in Greenpoint, that's you know, pretty much everybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I respect the people that come in and they have a willingness to learn and to hear and to grow. It's rare, but I respect it because this is a person who has not been deceived by their wealth, that understands that even though they have wealth, they don't have it all. And though their wealth can help them and they can do great things with it, they have a humble understanding that they have a responsibility still to grow spiritually and that although they've done well in gain, there's more to life than gain. There's more to life than making money. And I respect that. You say, yeah, that's, that's you know, when you're poor, you really are just better off. Well, can I tell you this? <clears throat> and this might be hard for some people to swallow. Poverty is not a virtue. Poverty is not a virtue. Now, if you're poor, understand, you have a unique insight, insight to life that the rich man doesn't have. Can I get an amen there? You have a unique insight to life that the rich man doesn't have. Maybe he did have it, he's lost it, forgotten, whatever. But if you're struggling every month, you're able to learn something about life. You're willing, and even in ways we apply that to spiritual things, you, when you, you're calling out to God, Lord, please help me to pay this rent. Please help me to get another job. Please help me to get another client so I can, I can make ends meet. And you're learning and you're growing. The rich man's not praying that prayer. <laughs> but he's still got some prayers to pray. He's got struggles all the same, without a doubt. But you're not virtuous because you're poor. In other words, if you won't go to work, <laughs> if you won't go and earn a living, don't walk up to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and say, See, blessed are the poor. <laughs> Actually, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. You can be rich and still be poor in spirit. <laughs> well, some people think that poverty is like a virtue, like a badge, like, you know, great. Some politicians, especially our local ones in Brooklyn, I think... They're talking about how many homeless we have, like they're proud of it. Like, that's not a good thing. You know, homelessness has gone up. That's not good. You know, we want the number to go down, don't we? It seems like you know, up is good. I don't understand that. Down is, down is up and up is down. So God shows us that the foolish man, uh, or shows us that God's perspective on the foolish man, what was really going on in his heart. And there's two main things there. The first is that the foolish man's prosperity was fleeting. He had produced plenty. He saw this as success, but something was missing in his life, and that's that he wasn't rich towards God. Secondly, his security was false. He said he had goods laid up for many years. He says, thou hast much, verse 19, sold, thou hast much good laid up for many years. So because I'm rich today, I'm okay for tomorrow. That was the deception that had happened in his life. Because everything's okay today, therefore I am okay tomorrow. And this was God's verdict on his life, verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? Uh, if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you, don't, you see that Solomon really struggled with this idea uh, at great length, didn't he? And he was, he was really frustrated. David talks about it as well as father. That he was, they were deeply frustrated. Job, in his writings, talks about this a lot is I have wealth today, but I know that one day I'm going to be gone. And what's going to happen to my wealth? They found it an injustice and brought their case to God. Found it an injustice that they could earn so much wealth and power and land, and then just that quick, it could all be gone when they die. Because their successor 
well, it's just not possible that they could be as smart as them. <laughs> it's just not possible that they would be as wise with it as them. And so, therefore, they were mad at God about it. And God tells this rich man, you need to think about this, that your wealth has a time limit on it. In fact, he says the time limit is this night. This night. That he had plans for tomorrow, but it was this night that God would require his soul. It says, so, that he, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The fool, thinking he had his whole life ahead of him, did not know that his entire life was actually behind him. And his possessions would profit him nothing. Nothing that he had given his life to. Wealth, food, relaxation. None of these things could go, go with him. And not only that, but none of these things he would be remembered for. His wealth would pass on to somebody else. And his, what he ate and what he lounged around doing, nobody would care about or remember. No, there are no heroic books written for people that sat on beaches and did nothing. Now, if you want to sit on a beach for a weekend, you know, for a few days on vacation, great. But if you want to make that a lifestyle, there, that, that's not really a life ambition, is it? He said that he would harvest, um, that God was going to harvest not from his fields, but from his deeds, what he did with his life. His fields would one day be on fire. And in fact, so would he. So it gives us pause tonight to think about the fool. The fool is not necessarily someone who is rich, although a rich person can be a fool. But a poor man can be a fool as well, or somewhere in between. People talk about in politics, the rich and the poor. Which one are you? I don't know. Some days I, I feel rich when I see my kids and my wife and how God's blessed us. And, and sometimes I feel like the other way around, you know, when, when bills are stacking up and things like that. So I don't know who I am. You know, or you, the people talk about the rich and the poor all the time. And I, you know, I can tell you this. If you make, I believe the statistic is if you make over $25,000 a year, you're more wealthy than 90% of the world. If you make over $25,000 a year, you're wealthier than 90% of the world. That's a hard number to swallow, isn't it? That's a hard reality to grasp how prosperous we are here in America. Here's what can be, here's what can happen. This man had earned, and I want to try to give maybe some respect tonight, that in his earning of wealth, he had learned some lessons about life. He had some learned some lessons about other people. He had learned some lessons about um, dealing uh, in business and things like that. But it's interesting that in all of his experiences, it doesn't seem that they grew him in any way. That he, as he grew in wealth, his experience, uh, life experience, or could I say his wisdom, did not grow proportionally. Okay? Have you read some of the writings or, or, or listened to some interviews or read some transcripts of Mark Zuckerberg? Okay, this is one of the wealthiest men on the planet, the founder of Facebook. This man is crazy. Have you read some of his? I mean, he is absolutely loony. I think about him when I think about this man right here. I mean, hey, he got rich. He created something that impacts more people than almost anything else around the world. I mean, I, I, my, I tip my hat to that sort of invention. But when it, So when it comes to technology and running a company and all that, I say... He's the expert. When it comes to marriage and especially raising children, if you read some of his stuff, he is so out there. He's a fool. He has absolutely no clue what he is talking about. 
I find this interesting. People have success, and then they think that that makes them an authority on everything. Wow. I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, people, they'll publish books. And these publishers, they must, they must really be good at what they're doing because they convince these people to write books. Uh, and I think this is not the kind of person that should be giving anybody advice. Uh, some of these books that are out there these days, I don't think I'm going to name any. But you know, I think you know what I mean there. This person should not be writing a book. But it's absolutely incredible. And it kind of lends to something that I often think about, that just that you're, you're, um, although the Bible talks about when we grow spiritually, that our tribulation can work patience and our patience from that we can have experience and so on and so forth, that in worldly wisdom, your experiences don't necessarily grow you unless you allow God to grow you through those experiences. That some of the most wealthy people in the world act like nine-year-olds sometimes, don't they? And they act very childish with their wealth and very silly and very powerful people do the same. Well, why is that? Well, they've got the same thing in them that you have in you. And that is this propensity to think that just because we've had some measure of success, that somehow that pre-qualifies us to be an expert on everything in life. And it doesn't. It absolutely does not. In fact, you can end up in the shoes of this fool right here. Somebody said it this way, that uh, some, often, sometimes somebody will say, well, I've had, I think I've, I know I've mentioned this to my church many times, and I probably have mentioned it here, so forgive me if I'm repeating this, but somebody will say, well, I've had 20 years of experience at this job. I've had, I've worked in retail a little bit, and, and I've been the new guy at the job many times, and you'll get there, and there's somebody that's been there forever, right? And they, they were there when the store opened, and and they'll say, I've had 20 years of experience. The worst was I became a manager in a company. I walked into the company as a manager. So there was already some people around me that were expecting to be a manager that didn't. And I'm the outside hire that walked in. Have you ever had somebody, you hate that guy, don't you? Or that lady, the outside hire, and they passed you up on the promotion. And I was that guy. And I could just tell that everyone really hated my guts. And, and uh, this lady, uh, she walked up and she had been there for 35 years in the company and I was stepping in above her and she didn't like that and she said I have been I have 35 years of experience I said okay great I hope to draw from that and you know I hope you can teach me a lot but after a few days working with her what I found out was she had about one year of experience 35 times (laughs) that she was still doing things the way she did from the first year And she really, through all the ups and downs of the job and as the company changed and spent millions to change the culture, the environment, and and to improve and to be more profitable, all of that had fallen on deaf ears with her and she had not changed one bit from the day she had gotten there. Boy, a lot of Christians are like that. Boy, they are. They've had some measure of success in their Christian life. They can tell you what they used to do for God. They can tell you how many times they used to read through the Bible. They can tell you how useful they, how, how faithful they were at church, how they, they used to sing this special. They, they used to do this thing, but now, well, they're just kind of living off that success. In their Christian life, they're where this guy was trying to get to in verse 19. They're eat, drinking, and being merry. Why? Because he laid up for many years. He, he's got much good for many years. I've done enough. I can ride this. For a good long while. Boy, that's a bad, that is a bad philosophy for life, is it not? That is a bad philosophy for life. Spiritual life don't work that way. 
It's not a bank account you build up and you draw from. Not at all. That's just worldly wisdom. I don't even want to try to create a counter illustration to that. It's just push that way out of your mind. It's, and it's because this idea is true that Jesus can say something like, except you be converted and become his little children, you can no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> because the child doesn't have his 35 years of experience to keep him stuck in a rut. Everything is new and fresh, and he faces every challenge with optimism and excitement and grows and learns from it. That's why a child can do that. That's why a child can be more wise than this fool. Well, the child hasn't earned a dime. I love reminding my kids of that. Dad, can we buy this? What, what's we? 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 You, you don't have anything. <laughs> Dad, we have this money? No, no, we don't have money. I have money. You have nothing. <laughs> and, uh, Dad, this is my room. Actually, it's not. I let you live here. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I love doing that to them. They, they, they love rolling their eyes at me. And uh, it's a lot of fun. But I want to teach them that early, and I like that. But we can be that way sometimes, can't we? And we can have that sort of attitude. You see, the rich man isn't a fool because he's rich. He's a fool because he's not rich towards God. I want to congratulate the many in this room that have come to learn this truth and those that are learning it today. That the real wealth in this life isn't in the size of your apartment and the beauty of the furnishings or the kind of car you drive. These guys, I've been in Manhattan a little bit recently. Brother Brett, you know what I'm talking about. These guys rolling around in these cars. They've got these $100,000 sports cars, which, you know, I can understand in Monaco or Southern California how that would be appealing. But New York City in a sports, bang, 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 you're banging around all over the place, nose is scratching, and just look ridiculous. Do you know that car? 20 years. In fact, we were just looking today on the side of the road. There was a Mercedes S-Class for $1,500. Now, that car was probably, what, $130,000 brand new? Here it is 20 years later. It's worthless. And it's not worth $1,500. You should be giving it away because you're probably going to have to put twice that into it to keep it running. It's fleeting. And if you've discovered that, if you've got a whiff of it, if your kids are starting to get that a little bit, yes, you're on the right track. That's exciting because you're wiser than that fool. Because you understand that to be rich in this life is to be rich towards God because anything you do for God and for His kingdom and for the ministry that He's called you to, that goes with you beyond this life. And you're laying up treasure in heaven and you're rich towards God and you're going to have a crown and you're going to have uh, rewards in heaven because you're, what you're living for today has eternal value. And while the rich man wrings his hands and says, I don't understand God, this isn't fair. How come all the money that I make I'm not going to get to keep? You get to live your life and say, everything I'm earning today for God, I get to keep forever. And I get to enjoy it for all of eternity. See, the fool, the, the fool is a fool from start to finish. And I would encourage you tonight to be rich towards God. Be rich to Him when it comes to your service for Him. Be rich to Him as you raise your children you want your kids to be well off, make them rich towards God. And I promise you, they will be very well off. They will be very well off. You want to... <laughs> I wrote it this way. Why did I write it this way? I said, do you want to have a rich church? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But do you want the church to prosper? Then make it rich towards God. 
well, I don't have a lot of money. If you're given what God's told you to give, that, that's all you're to give. 10% and an offering. If you're doing that, you're rich towards God. Our church is richer towards God as a result. It's not about who gives the most. It's just if everybody does what they're supposed to do, the church will be able to do all it's supposed to do. I'm looking at Union, and I, I don't know how we're going to put an apartment in there. I don't know how we're going to renovate that auditorium, although our next-door neighbor who's a real estate developer says, oh, this is so easy, and you know, he's excited about it and wants to help us. But um, I told him, I said, yeah, but you've got a few million dollars in your bank account, and we don't. And, uh, but you know, I, don't know, I don't know how those things are going to happen. But we're going to start teaching our church from day one. I mean, we already have been for four years. That if everyone in our church does what they're supposed to do, our church will be able to do all it's supposed to do. We'll be able to support every missionary God wants us to support. We'll be able to repair that auditorium. We'll be able to put that apartment in there and drop the rent. And we'll be able to help other... And this is the goal. We, are, we will be able to help other churches get started. We will be able to do all that God wants us to do if everyone does all that God wants them to do. If we're all simply yielded. But if we're all focused on self, can't get there. We can't get there at all. Don't be a fool. Be rich towards God. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you for this evening. And Lord, I thank you for this insight from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would all be rich towards you. I pray that we would put aside our expectations of what we think we deserve. The kind of lifestyle that we think we're supposed to have. And we would be yielded to you. Lord, I pray that we would start our workday without complaining. But Lord, to start our workday saying, thank you, God, for work. Thank you for the dignity. Thank you for the enabling. Thank you for the health to get up and do this job. Lord, you know in my heart I don't even like this job, but I'm thankful for it. And Lord, that, prayers like that would change our world. They would change our day. They would make such an impression on our children. And Lord, I pray that we would be rich towards you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor.